Welcome to Roman Cola for the soul with your host Cindy Felcool, a lady who loves to share stories and likes to laugh at her own jokes. I have an amazing guest today. She's one of my biggest encouragers and she always reminds me to not be bitter, which is my probably one of my biggest struggles. And if you know me, like if I weren't a Christian, I think I'd be the most super bitter old Betty because that's my worst struggle sometimes is like everything just makes me so angry. And especially church when people claim to know Jesus and they're not being loving to other people. It just drives me crazy. And, you know, I'm like, you can probably hear the bitterness as I start to talk about it. But my friend Michelle is, I don't even see any of that in her. And she's so open and honest about the things that she struggles with. And I always walk away from every conversation with her being like, I just want to be more like her. And so I'm super excited that you guys get to hear a little bit about how awesome she is. But I also wanted to, before I even get into the interview, just let you know that there's a lot of things that this brings up, like past hurt and trauma and shame issues and stuff like that. And if any of this is a trigger for you or something, then you would like to continue talking about it. Please just reach out to me from my website, RomanColaForTheSoul.com, or you can look me up on Facebook, and I would be glad to keep the conversation going. And hopefully we can have some events down the road where I bring Michelle in and we can talk even more. But it all depends on you guys and how much this gets shared and how much people respond to that and just letting me know that you would like to hear more. So please, please respond and keep the conversation going. And with that, let's get started. So guys, welcome to Roman Color for the Soul. Today I'm super excited that I get to interview my good friend, Michelle, and she is somebody that has just been a continual inspiration to me because I love her story, and um, she has had a lot of things happen in her life that are pretty tough, but she's always been an encouragement to me to seek God and to to be positive and, and to just continually have hope. And it's really funny, like the first time I saw Michelle, we were at a church with quite a few wealthy people and I just saw how happy she was. And I was like, I didn't think I was going to like her because I thought like, oh, there's somebody that I just want to mess up her hair and like, and just like have a real problem lady. And then I met her and I was like, oh, wow, it is real. And so that was the thing that I loved about her. So this is my friend, Michelle King, and we're just going to talk today about some of her story and things that she's been through. I didn't prepare you for this question, so, um, but I always like to start with, is there something that you want to promote? And you can think about it, and I can edit this too, but is there something that you would like to promote to people listening to this? Well, I don't know. I'm not involved in anything specific that I'd like to promote, but I can think about that through the interview. But what first came to mind is God knows every single solitary part of us and try not to hide because we spend so much time in life hiding and bringing things in back of us when if we come forward with the things, even when we think God's going to be mad or angry or something, he knows it anyway. He loves us anyway. And he wants us to be in real relationship with him. So don't hide, bring it to him, 
bring it to others just as you are. Um, you got to be cautious with who to bring it to others, but you can always bring everything to God. So I guess that's one thing that I would like to share more so than promote, but I'll think yeah. about something else to promote as well. Yeah. So, and I think that's the, the thing that first drew me into friendship with you was that you're not good at being fake. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like a lot of church culture is like, trying to deny that we have problems. And as soon as we started talking, it was none of that fakeness. So it was like, yeah, I got problems. I'm like, yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that you should say that because I would definitely categorize my earlier life and even my earlier Christian life as somebody who was very skilled at being fake. Um, the lies would just come out of me as if they were natural. I had so much shame about things I really didn't even understand yet that it was just very, very natural for me to cover up. It was as little by little I began to trust God, I realized that I didn't need to cover up any of that stuff. And he wanted to weed through it and show me what parts that um, were my sin, and he could take care of sin, what parts were damages that happened to me that had no fault of my own, and he could begin to heal me of that. And also um, things that I thought I should be ashamed of that he showed me that um, in him and his healing power that there really wasn't a need to be shameful. And I saw that to be real as I started to do it. So anyway, I thought that I had to confess that point. <laughs> okay. So I'll get started with the questions that I actually prepared you for. Okay. <laughs> First of all, tell me about how you became a follower of Jesus. Okay. Well, I initially was told about Jesus by my brother, Jay, when I was a senior in high school. Uh, I had made some sinful choices that year, um, although I wouldn't have described it that way at the time. I was bothered, though, and I knew I was in need of forgiveness, the forgiveness that he was describing that was being offered. So I accepted his forgiveness, Jesus's forgiveness, and I was so excited at first. I told my friends and my boyfriend that Jesus was awesome, even though that looked so weird at the time to them. Um, but I have to say, within a week, I kind of forgot about that. Um, I was invited to a Bible study and a Christian church, and I frankly was too embarrassed. That was to do a lot of my shame issues. I was too embarrassed to be a part of that, and I also thought it would be boring. So I forgot all about that night when I accepted Jesus, um, and probably again less than a week uh, for almost 10 years or so. And even though I went faithfully uh, to Catholic church every week, I probably only prayed a handful of prayers, um, but ironically, I prayed a simple but real prayer a week before somebody invited me to a Bible study. And I, during that prayer, um, I looked up to the ceiling and I said out loud, God, I'm wondering if you're even hearing this or it's just hitting the ceiling. And about a week later, uh, a friend of mine invited me to, a, totally out of the blue, invited me to a Bible study. She was invited by a friend. She was like weirded out by it. She wasn't sure if she was going to go. She told me, and I, I said, yeah, let's go. Who the heck cares? I said, I'm 2,000 miles away from home. I could care less of what these people think about me. If I don't like it, I'll just get up and leave. <laughs> but That's it awesome. turned out, yeah, it turned out that um, I loved it. I was it was the only subject in my whole life I was actually ever interested in, except for this one political science class. And my friend thought it was so funny. She was shocked that I'm like, yeah, let's go. This is a blast. 
anyway, about a year, I, I thought of it as an interesting class, but about a year and a half later, I accepted Jesus at a Billy Graham crusade. Okay, so go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to get that all in. <laughs> at this stage in your life, how do you continue to grow in your relationship with God? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I would say I was always uh, interested in reading the Bible. I always went to church faithfully from that time of the Bible study, and I was always in prayer. But I would definitely say my growth was sporadic. Um, my insecurities about what people thought of me ran so deep. I spent many years oscillating between disobedience and faithfulness to God. I tended to walk with him when things were easy and fun, um, but would fall away quickly whenever I would be embarrassed in some way by following him. But today my growth has become steady. Um through the school of hard knocks and uh, painful consequences and things like that, I've realized that trusting and obeying Jesus is the best way to live. Uh, not because the Bible tells me that I should trust and obey him, but because lear I've learned it, that he really does have a better idea of how to do things than I do. And uh, as a result, I've been committed to prayer and Bible reading, but also being really open with people and my and, and my pastors about my struggles. I feel like I want to follow up on that. So. I'll circle back. Okay. So, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. next question. This is one of the key things that I try to tell people all the time is that your struggles do not mean that God has abandoned you. Struggles in this life are when God wants to come alongside you and walk through them with you. So how have you seen God at work in the struggles in your life? I've seen him come beside me when I had nowhere else to go. No one understood. The pain was so deep, I really didn't feel like I could live. And at those times, I saw God come beside me in a way that was loving me and caring for me and showing me I know all about it. And as that relationship began to develop and that reality began to, to develop, I cared so much more about what he thought. I cared so much more about our relationship, God's and I's relationship, than what people thought. And that's why... I saw him work because I went from a person who I could spin anything. But now I was like, wow, I don't care. I care about you. And if being with you makes me look this way or that way or makes me. And that reality made me realize God can heal even this in me amongst many other things. But that made me realize, wow, he is working because. I care more about what he thinks than what other people think. And that, for me, was an incredible growth and a freedom that I never had. I know that a lot of people I talk to talk about the struggle of being a single woman in church. And part of it, because church is so family-focused yes. and, and focused on marriage and all these things. And when things don't work out mm. the way we want them to, it's, it's a struggle. But I still see you as like somebody that generally, I know you have your struggles, mm. but I still see you as somebody that generally remains positive. And how have you maintained that positive attitude when sometimes it 
it, it's hard to be in church when you're in the middle of a struggle. So how do you stay positive? Yeah, no, that's really, really good. I, I think that I really do tend to focus on my relationship with God so I don't feel alone. I actually imagine him with me in the car. I Well, because he is, but I actually physically pay attention. Like I focus. He's with me right now. He's with me as I walk in church. He's with me as I walk in alone to this or that. He's with me. He's beside me. And one other thing I think really helps is I've asked God to help me to see people as individuals. Since I never used to do that before, they were just, uh, they weren't real. I can't describe it. I never looked at people as people um, in some ways. But look at them as individuals as opposed to their relationships that they're in. And, or their lack thereof of the relationships that they were in, that I didn't, I believe in family. I want to support marriage with all my heart and soul. But at the same time, I like to think of the person as an individual. This is a student. This is a child. This is a person. This is not just a wife. And not, not, I don't mean not just a wife, but it's, he's an, this person is an individual, whether all the relationships around them are crumbling or whether all the relationships with them are such an incredible blessing and exactly how God wants them to be for the moment. And that's really helped me to do that. So, and another thing is when I, I do reach quickly for the word, when I am still doing all those things, still totally depressed, totally frustrated, I do reach for the word and I force myself to get into the ward and I force myself to reach out for prayer support. And that really helps. That's actually really encouraging to me because I don't, I, we haven't talked that much about this, but as an empty nester, mm. I struggled a lot with realizing how much my role, especially in church, was defined by being a mom. Mm. And then I sat there when my kids were all gone, I was like, I have nothing. Because I didn't realize how much the people around me were defining me by my role as a mother. And then when that wasn't really a part of who I was anymore, it was like, well, I guess you need to go to the nursery. <laughs> like, there's nothing left for you here. And it was hard to, yes. like, to redefine myself and realize nobody saw me as anything but a mom. And I, I love what you said. That's really good and super helpful. Mm-hmm. So, um, my final question, I think, for, <laughs> or my next question for you is, um, anything else that you would like to talk about or anything that you feel like you have left out in what you've shared so far? Yeah, I think, um, I'm definitely learning how to turn every aspect of my life over to God, my problems, my children, my, I don't knows in life, like my future. And I think that just to recap, you know, I grew up in a home where um, my dad was an alcoholic. My mom was an alcoholic too, but she used pills too, but she considered herself an alcoholic. Um, my dad was the type of alcoholic who would get drunk, leave the house for three or four days and come back without the car and possibly have spent a couple of days in jail. He was in and out of jail just for bar fights, not just for bar fights, but just for bar fights. I don't know, one time he said 50 or 60 times, I was, uh, I heard stories about my mom wondering when he'd get home, having no car herself, having four and sometimes five little kids at home. Um, and again, he'd come back without the car. There was one time he would gamble too. He would gamble the little money that they had because he couldn't really hold a job. And 
this is actually, it's a positive cry because God is so good. But one time my dad came home with a bunch of money in a paper bag and my mom really needed it. Um, because at that time she didn't like go for welfare yet. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so, but he came home and he said, look at all this money that I won. And she opened the window and she threw it all out. And he goes, to to, it was, it was snowing, we live in New England, so it was snowing and windy. And my father went to go chase it down there and tried to chase all the dollars, but he really couldn't get many or, or any at all. And I love that story because I think it was the first step of my mother saying no more. Like, no more. I don't want this. And so anyway, it turns out that my dad, uh, when I was six, he went to AA and he never drank again. And to tell you the truth, I never remember my father drunk. I, I remember my father one time having a beer. Um, but people drink for a lot of different reasons to cover things up. It was great. I no longer had an alcoholic father. But there was sexual abuse that happened in my family. There was verbal abuse. There was emotional abuse. There were problems with both my parents that they were trying to cover up with alcohol. And I truly believe that without the healing of the Lord, they were still struggling with those things. And yet they were dealing with them differently. There was uh, a lot of shame related to my house, even though, it, yeah, they weren't drinkers anymore. But like I said, abuse was going on all the time. Um, we looked like the best family. We were like, we could definitely smile. My father was a very charismatic, funny, loving man. He really was a very, very loving man, but he did not have to deal with his struggles. And it was, could be World War Three over there one day, things being thrown around and was was part of my childhood. Yelling and screaming in a way that was like, you'd wonder if they'd kill each other. I became numb to it, but I still didn't want to invite any friends home. So I think that that's when the lying came in. I couldn't even face, hey, I, you know, I never know, know what's going to happen with my parents. So I just say, hey, my brother's sick. It was just a part of who I became, who I was. And I know that different victims of abuse will handle it in different ways. But one way I did was just separate it. Like I didn't even remember it when I was at school. I didn't think like it was totally separate. I don't, I don't even know how I could block it out like that. Like I'd remember it, block it out, remember it, block it out. Sometimes my father would masturbate in the car and I seriously remember thinking, and he'd, I didn't have a car and I had a job and he would have to pick me up a lot. And cause my mom wasn't always available. And he would, when he would do that, I was very, very athletic. So I would literally think to myself, hey, I could open this door, stop, drop, and roll, and probably be totally fine, and I could get away. But somehow, I'd walk in the door of my house, and i totally put it in a different, I, I wouldn't even in, do it purposely. i just forget all about it until the next time it happened. I'd be like, oh, I'm so stupid. Why did I ask him for a ride? Anyway, I could go on and on, but um, some of those things happened where I guess the one other thing to mention is I looked for other ways to ride, get rides home and I looked at from other teenage boys and I'm not claiming to be a saint, but I know that some of the things that I, and predicaments that I put myself into, I wouldn't have put myself into and, um, you know, led to things that were problems. And again, that leads me to the first question of when did I receive Jesus? Uh, my brother had become a 
born-again Christian, and although we all thought he was weird, that night that he asked, told me in my bedroom that I could get forgiveness of my sins, I grabbed it. I was like, yeah. But I think that God has shown me that as I expose these things, he's a perfect heart doctor, if you will. He knows how to heal everything. The things that we purposely initially did to maybe bring some destruction in our lives. The things that we were totally innocent of. He knows how to distinguish them and heal them all. And I know it's true because I lived it. And I know that I've been healed. Uh, my dad and I had a, I confronted him years later and we had a wonderful, wonderful relationship. Had a wonderful relationship with my mom. And he became very, very soft to the things of God, um, actually for many years, but didn't really surrender until right before he died. But frankly, even way before he surrendered, when God had brought me to the place of confronting him, God began a healing. And um, yeah, he really blessed our relationships. So anyway, that's part of it. <laughs> yeah, I hope that everybody hears how much real hurt and struggle that was like this is like a long long process like you and true and we we talk about this all the time forgiving is not just it's not easy forgiving yes. people and like i know some of that that you struggled with that it was a process of really really taking it to god over and over and like saying i can't do this and and I just want listeners to hear that because sometimes people just throw out, oh, just forgive them. And and that's not even wise to just say, oh, just forgive somebody for abuse and things like that. It's it's a process of letting God heal your heart. Just forgiving seems so trivial when it's it's really like a huge, huge heart change. Oh, my gosh. You know what? I'm so glad you said that because, frankly, it was brutal. Um, you know, I think when you're past it and you're healed and you're, you feel like that and you know that that's the answer, but, oh, no, 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 it was a big, big process. I, I forgave hundreds of times. Like, I would forgive. Then I'd find myself enraged and furious and depressed and feel like you stole so much. You stole so much from my childhood. I couldn't even be who I was. I couldn't even my friend over, etc. But, and I'd feel like I really forgave. And then, again, it would come up. And it would be re-forgiving. And I remember one of my counselors said, yeah, it's like an onion because you really did forgive of some of the things that are going on today, but there's deeper and deeper hurt. And yet, I, I want to stay positive, not to just be positive, because it is brutal. It, it, it is, and there's certain parts that are brutal, but you really can say after, wouldn't trade it, would keep going back to God, keep going back. Oh, but it hurts. Oh, but it's hard. And it is. So there are many times where I say, I would say, I literally can't take the pain. I would much rather live with this pain than going to actually forgive and trying to look at my hurt that I need to forgive. I would much rather do that and did for years. So I'm good. You know what I mean? I'm not as bad as before. But I remember there was a conference I went to and there was a woman speaking 
who had been through a lot, and she described it like this. God wants us fully free. There's many, many things in life that bind us up. And if you can imagine us literally being bound up, our hands, our feet, our arms, our head, if you will, our mind is bound up and all this. And so God frees an arm. And we are grateful because we're like, my gosh, I've never moved my right hand so freely. Look at me. I can throw now. I can catch. This is awesome. Oh, but that's all I want. I can't go. Freeing that, that arm. Oh, yeah, it was great, but it was painful. But imagine going down trying to share that with the world. Look how free I am. And they see all your bind up. It's not actually about the world seeing, but God has total, total freedom. Even if you are paralyzed, he has complete and total freedom of heart. And he says it's in the land of the living because of his presence and because of his freeing. We may still have scars, but I look at scars on my body. They don't hurt me anymore. They don't sting in the same way. Yeah, I see them. And I may still have the consequence of having a scar, if you will. But yeah, it's painful. But I truly believe why I'm positive about the pain is when we're ready, that's the life that God designed for us. To keep going back and keep being the person that he created, not the person who is bound up on the sin and shame that he didn't even want us to have in the first place. And that's what he died for. So yes, he wants that. He died so that we can be free of the shame that we brought upon ourselves, the sin that we brought upon ourselves, and the sin that was brought on us um, by others. I think all the time the most amazing thing about being a Christian is is continually becoming a better person. And as we walk with him... That's what he does for us. He frees us and shows us things where we need to grow. And that's probably to me, and I feel like you feel this way too, the biggest proof that he's real because it's this power that causes us to confront things that we would rather not deal with. Oh, yeah. And in the end, we become so much better. And it's like, that's what I want people to see all the time. It's like, you don't have to live this way. There's freedom from that. And it's not an easy process, but he's there empowering you to go through the really difficult process. So I love that. And that's, I love your story for that. So one of the, the notes that I wanted to end on, um, there's so much more that we could talk about with this, but one of the things I really wanted to end on is, it's kind of giving encouragement to young people today, especially millennials. Tons of people are running from church, like, we're just in droves. People are leaving church because of all the things that they see. And a lot of them, it's a lot of good reasons that people are, mm. are tired of church culture. And I, I want to end on a positive note of talking about how the things that you've been through and what you see as hope in Jesus can help us build real communities in the future. I don't know if I asked a real question there, but, but we've talked about this a lot mm, in, in yes. that. And I just kind of want us to just keep talking about that in that facing shame and all of those things. When we bring that into church, I think it will bring about the communities that Jesus intended for us to build. Like, I think your father was active in church, right? When all those things were going on and 
Oh, he wasn't? Okay. No, that's no. right. That's okay. No. Then, <laughs> then we don't well, to tell you the no. truth, actually, well, actually, since you do bring that up, I think my father was abused as a young boy in church um, by somebody at church. And so he never, ever went to church, but he always wanted us to go to church. I think that, yeah. So anyway, but going on with what you were saying, our people at church not facing their shame, um, not, or bringing shame upon others and condemnation. Yes. And I think that they're not intending that. I'm not, they're not intending that, but what happens is, because it happened to me too, I literally thought when I first started going to church, boy, if they only knew, I would never be able to come here. So I better put up a good front and I can put up a good front. And I don't even think I knew I was doing, again, it was all part of the, how I grew up. I better really make sure that these people think that I should be here because I thought it was about my outward behaviors, my outward attitudes, who I was showing that would make me good, if you will. Like, wow, I'm better. I'm like, God, Jesus, um, I received Jesus. He forgave me of my sins. Now I'm part of this group where I better be good. I better be outwardly good. It wasn't until years later that I found out God was operating from the inside out. It's not that he didn't care about my outward behaviors. He was healing from the inside out. I believe that God can talk to a person who's got all these outside behaviors that are all, let's say, messed up. And yet he can blow through all of, not even address any of those and go straight to the heart and say, do you know how valued you are? Do you know I created you to be like such an awesome person? Can I have a relationship with you? It's what I want so much right now, today, before you clean up any of the outside. That's God's heart. And I think that that's what not only millennials, people who are 40, people who are 50, people who have steeped in shame because of the different things they did, 80-year-olds who are going to die and have realized, gee, I, I've really messed things up and I can't make them better and whatever, if they need to know the true message of God. I care about you more than any behavior. It doesn't define you. I created you. And yes, I want to help you clean those things up. But first, first and foremost, I love you today. I want to heal you of your deepest wounds. And let's work from the inside out to make you the person that I created you to be. It's definitely a result of what he wants to do as opposed to an action that we're supposed to try to do. I stopped lying not because I was told, don't lie. It was because I want to be a trustworthy person. I don't want to just get good at it. I don't want to just get so smoking shadowy that I don't even have to lie because I can slip through. I can do this. I want, I don't have to lie. Uh, that was the old way. No, the new way is help me to believe what you say about me, that I'm really loved despite all of this crap. So now I don't have to lie about the crap. I don't have to cover it up. I can invite you in depending on whatever's going to happen. So 
that's what I think. That's a lot of words, but. <laughs> well, and I, I think that that, right, I just really, really believe when we create those kinds of communities where we can be open about our struggles, like Christians should be the most safe people to go to because we're like, yeah, we all got it. We all got a yeah. lot that we're dealing with. Yes. And, uh, and I don't know how to get there sometimes, like from the fakeness of church culture versus the reality of let's just bring it all out and open and deal with it. Which, I mean, you yeah. know, you're not going to do, do that just anywhere. <laughs> right. Got to use wisdom. But we, we definitely need those communities where we can be more real and open with each other. And that's actually what I see a lot of hope for with millennials are great at confronting BS. They see it Mm. and call it out. And I think that is going to bring healing for people being real. Like when we are real, that's when we find the truth and healing that Jesus offers. Yeah. And um, I agree. I do have a, a lot of hope for our young people, and um, I do see their struggle, too. We have to end on a note where we say, life is messy, gosh, good. Yeah, let's do that. Um, <laughs> so we tie that in somehow. So, Michelle, what would you say one point that all of this brings up? <laughs> yes. Life is messy, but God is good. That's so true. (laughs) Thank you. It is true. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you for listening. If you feel like another shot of rum and cola for your soul, check out rumandcolaforthesoul.com.